All right, well, this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms, we're going to be in Psalm 128. Remember, we are going through the Psalms of Ascent. These are what we've called the Pilgrim's Playlist. This is the songs uh, that the Israelites would have thrown on in the car on the way to worship the Lord in Israel during their pilgrimages. Uh, These were songs that were meant to remind them of great things in the past and promises in the future. And as we think about these things from our perspective, post-Calvary, as New Testament believers, we see how these songs can apply to our lives as we go on this journey through life, as we one day hope to be in God's presence uh, fully and completely. We've seen a lot so far in this psalm. We've seen uh, psalms that speak of... um, thinking about what life would have been like had the Lord not been with us. We've seen psalms that tell us about how to be faithful even in the midst of difficult times. Um, We've seen all kinds of great psalms. And today we bring us to a psalm that speaks of uh, the fear of the Lord and walking in his ways or walking in his path. I want to start with a story uh, that me and Whitney uh, experienced one time. We have a friend named Cody Keys. Um, He's a Tahlequah guy, and we knew him from church camp and things like that. Well, Whitney and I moved to college, and we went to college in Tahlequah at NSU. And there's a place uh, there, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's this lookout bluff that you go up on it, and you can see just for miles and miles. It's a beautiful place, okay? So Cody says, hey, you guys need to go walk that trail and go look. I said, that's a great idea. Well, Cody said, when you get there, make sure when you get to the opening of the trail You keep to the right. As long as you keep to the right, you're going to be good. So we get there. We park my uh, 2000 Chevy Cavalier. We get out of that bad boy. We start walking, and we're keeping right. And it is the bushiest trail you've ever... There is no trail. And I'm like, he said keep to the right. So we're keeping as far right as we can. We're like butted up against the barbed wire fence. We get ticks from head to toe. We didn't even make it wherever we were going. And we, on the way back, we called Cody. We're like, dude, we, we stayed to the right, and we couldn't even, like, progress up the mountain. He said, no, 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 go to the left. You're supposed to go to the left. And we said, no, you said right. And as he thought about it, he realized he's a cheer coach. And when he's facing the kiddos most of the time, he's saying, keep to your right. And he's holding up his left hand because he's mirror for them, right? This is your right. So in his mind, he was telling us go right, but actually he meant go left. So we didn't stay on the path at all. And because we were off of the path, life was really difficult. Life was really hard. We got ticks. We got scratches. We, we just did not have, we never even arrived at our destination. I think today's psalm speaks to us of the importance of staying on the Lord's path and how if you do stay on the Lord's path, Life, in general, is better for you. Life, in general, is better for you. Let's read this psalm, Psalm 128. If you're there in your Bible, Psalm 128. And it says this, a song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around the table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. 
May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm and what it teaches us. God, we pray that you would help us to seek your blessing that comes from following you and fearing you. God, we pray that you would help us to find value in the things that you bless us with. That we wouldn't find value outside of, the, of, of, of who you are, but find value within who you are. God, we pray that you would help us to be faithful. And that as we study this passage today, as you help us to understand it better, that our lives would be better for it. We pray that you would help us all to become more like Jesus as we strive in this life together. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the basic teaching of this, the overall teaching of this psalm is that you follow the Lord, you fear the Lord, and you will be blessed. But as I mentioned to you before, the psalms come with different kinds of genres, right? A genre is a different category of a piece of art. So like there's comedies, there's romance movies, there's action films, there's all kinds of different genres or different types of, uh, of, of art, And in the Psalms, we have that as well. This Psalm would fall under the category of a wisdom Psalm, a wisdom Psalm, which would be similar, more similar to a proverb than it typically would be to a Psalm. Usually Psalms are singing, reflecting on uh, something amazing that's happened before or lamenting an issue that's going on in the heart or, or declaring faithfulness to the Lord, waiting upon the Lord. Today's Psalm really acts more like a proverb. It's talking about if you do this, then this kind of thing will happen. And how do we interpret wisdom literature? We have to be careful here as we interpret wisdom literature in general, but particularly wisdom psalms and things like the Proverbs. Because the Proverbs, and similar to this psalm, speak in generalities, vague generalities and principles that, of how life operates, of how God designed the world. You could say similarly, uh, Proverbs are similar to things like uh, wisdom sayings that we have in our culture, something like a penny saved is a penny earned or an apple a day will keep the doctor away. For the most part, those things do work out, right? If you save a penny, you're going to be good. You save a penny and you earn it and, and you keep it and you start to build wealth. But it's possible to save every penny you run into and then run into a massive expense along the way and it causes you to lose it all and you have to spend it all and you don't save. But when that happens, you don't say, I'm going to lose my money anyways. Why do I even need to save it? That's not your reaction, correct? In a similar way, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. The point is that a healthy diet will lead to a, a healthier or less health problems. But sometimes people that eat the right thing all the time still have health problems. That doesn't give us any kind of reasonable cause to throw out the idea of a healthy diet in general, leads to less health problems. I mean, my, my life in particular, my mom, her brother, and their dad, all three had heart attacks um, in their midlife. So should I say, well, it doesn't matter how I live, I'm just going to have a heart attack anyways. Why eat a low-sodium diet? You'd probably say to me, yeah, even if you do a low-sodium diet, you can still have heart problems, but you, you need to eat healthy anyways. None of you would say to me, oh yeah, you're correct, just throw out your diet, it doesn't matter in the long run anyways. No, you would say, in general, cut down your sodium, your heart's going to be better. In the same way, as we read this psalm today, this psalm's going to paint a picture of what life is supposed to be like. And how, in general, if you follow the Lord, in general, your life is going to be blessed. And you could point to exceptions to the rule of this psalm, but in the long run, that kind of uh, pointing to the exceptions doesn't hold up because... 
These are, it's speaking in a wisdom uh, context, in a general principles. In life, if you fear the Lord, he will bless you and you'll receive all of these blessings that we see. So what is, what does this Psalm teach us? What starts off with that, that idea, that phrase, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. You notice in that passage that Whitney read from the Proverbs, it spoke of fearing the Lord. What does that phrase even mean? What does, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, that phrase does not mean that we fear the Lord like a child fears the boogeyman or a bully. How many of you guys, your kids cannot sleep with the light off? Like they have to have some light on. Some kids are like that. Um, They have to have the door open. I need to like see the light down the hall because they're afraid. This phrase is not like that. It's not saying that we need to fear the Lord like a child fears a boogeyman or a bully. It's also saying that we don't fear the Lord like a person fears a snake or a spider or a creepy clown or something like that. It's not that we are, are, are meant to be afraid or fear the Lord in that sense. What this phrase does mean is that we have something like a healthy respect for the Lord. Another way to say that is a reverent trust. It's an acknowledgement that God is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. In some sense, have you ever uh, listened to a, uh, either a fighter or a football player, some athlete, talk about how they respect the other team? That they know, hey, this guy on the other team, he's, he's very good at what he does, so we're going we're gonna to give him a lot of attention and pay attention to him because we know he has the ability to do something that's going to be serious in the game. In the same way, like we have that kind of respect for the Lord in the sense that we take knowledge of who he is and he's able to do everything that he says he's going to do. He's a knowledgeable, legitimate, a reputable place where we can go to find knowledge. We fear the Lord. We respect who he is. And it's a reverent respect, a reverent trust. It's acknowledging God is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he's going to do. And when we see this phrase in Scripture, the fear of the Lord, you can see butted up against this verse. It says, blesses everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. That's, called, uh, that's a parallel statement there. So those who fear the Lord are those who walk in his ways. Fearing the Lord, walking in his ways, is, is like walking in wisdom, which ties into that passage Whitney read. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of, the, the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord, acknowledge that he knows who he is. And we should do whatever he commands. And you should believe that he knows best in your life. And you're to fear the Lord and you realize that not following him is detrimental to your life. So someone that fears the Lord follows the Lord. The math is easy. If you want, or if you want the fear. Sorry, I wrote this wrong. If you fear the Lord, you will walk in his ways. If you walk in his ways, you will be blessed. That's the math equation. If you fear the Lord, you do as he commands. And if you do as he commands, you are going to be blessed in your life. In your life, if you follow the Lord, if you fear him, meaning you respect who he is, you listen to what he says you're going to do, and you follow in that path, blessing comes in your life. And then this passage fills out, the rest of this, path, this, this psalm fills out those fears of, of blessing in your life. It's going to start with your personal efforts, then it's going to expand out to your family relations, And finally, then, to your community connections. So let's start with that. Blessings in your personal life. This verse says that you shall eat the labors of your hand. You shall eat the labors of your hand. That means that when you work, you're going to receive what it is that you you work for. You'll be blessed with that. 
That's a principle that's found all throughout the Bible. If you work, you eat. The Proverbs talk about that all the time. The person who's lazy and doesn't work doesn't eat. The person who does work does eat. That's a general principle. If you work hard, you're going to receive uh, the blessing that is sustenance, the food around your table. But sometimes, if we look out in the world, sometimes people don't receive the blessing of the work that they do. Sometimes they, people work and they don't receive enough to, to feed their families or to put food on the table. And sometimes that doesn't work out. And that can be for lots and lots of reasons, but sometimes some of those reasons are because you're not doing your work in such a way as the Lord would have you do it. You're not doing your work in such a way that the Lord would have you do it. Biblical principles help you to be a better worker. If you take the, the biblical Christian principles and you apply those to your workspace, your life and work will be simpler or, or better in, in the long run, in general. For example, discipline produces more in your job than sloth. If you're lazy in your job, it's not going to go well for you. Honesty instead of deceit. If you're an honest person within your job, in your job, life will go better for you. If you're deceitful, that may get you short-term gain, but in the long run, you could lose your job. Appreciation for work instead of complaining about work. Ecclesiastes and all throughout the Bible teaches us that, hey, when you, God has given us work and you do work and you can appreciate and value work instead of complaining about work all the time. And dude, I'm, I'm the king of complaining. It's my spiritual gift. And, but if you go through life, um, and, and particularly in the aspect of work, if you're complaining about work all the time rather than appreciating the fact that you can work, that's going to be a lot harder for you. But if you take just a few of those biblical principles, the idea of discipline, honesty, and appreciation for work, your experience in work is a lot better. So as you think about your personal dealings in life, and particularly your work life, just realize that following the Lord in your personal work efforts matters. It matters that you apply biblical principles or Christian virtues to your work life. Whatever your job is, whatever it is that you do, think about how that life is better when you apply just a few of those biblical principles to it. And in general, if you're following the Lord and applying those to your life, your work life goes easier. So you apply those things to your life, and you shouldn't think that there's a part of your life where God's, God's rules don't apply. You might think, I, I apply God's rules at church, but then I can kind of live however I want outside of that because that's not God's realm. No, every aspect of your life is God's realm, and therefore all of the rules that apply to, to his world apply to that. And all the guidance and direction he gives to you apply to that area of your life. So if you're struggling at work, you feel like, man, I, I just I hate my job. I really struggle to do it. I have a hard time there and I feel like things are just tough. Try applying the wisdom of God to that area of your life. Live out those biblical godly principles in your life and see how that impacts your relationships with uh, the people in your job and your job in general. So he says that blessings, you will receive blessings in your personal life. But he also says, number two, that you'll receive blessings in your family life. Blessings in your family life. Uh, in this next few verses, it speaks of your wife and your children. It speaks of how following the Lord, fearing the Lord, walking in his ways impacts the home. It says about the wife that she will be like a fruitful vine. 
That's probably referring to a grapevine. Um, use grapes to create wine. It's a, it's, it's in, in the Bible, wine and, and grapes, those are, those are signs of vitality and fruitfulness. So this is teaching us a wife will flourish in the home of a godly husband. A wife should flourish in the home of a godly husband. So that means if, if you're a husband and you're a Christian, your wife should be flourishing and growing in your home. She should be growing and be productive. She should be happy and blessed. And in turn, she should make her husband happy and blessed. This also probably carries the idea of, uh, of the woman being fruitful and bearing children as well. So the Bible's looking at this and saying, hey, those who follow the Lord, who walk in his ways, are going to have a blessed relationship with their spouse. It goes on from there to speak of the children. The children, they're going to be like olive shoots. You can see that parallelism going on again. The wife will be fruitful in your home. The children will be like olive shoots around your table. So an olive shoot's a small bud or a new branch of an olive tree. And when you see that coming to life in the spring, you think new life is about to come. Um, there, there's something new, refreshing coming. That means it's full of promise and potential. Um, so much potential that an olive shoot can even become its own plant someday, right? You can take the shoot of an olive tree and create a new tree someday. And so is the same for children. While children are young and immature and not fully grown, they're full of promise and potential. So when a child is in the home of a godly man, they should be, they should be protected and safe, well-fed, able to take those next steps in life well. And Olive Shoot brings the hope of promise and potential. And I hope you can see so far in this, this idea of having a blessed relationship with your spouse and the idea of having fruit coming from your work and the idea of there being lots of children to carry on a promise. I hope you can see the connections all the way back to Genesis. What was the punishment in the garden when Adam and Eve fell? Well, Adam was told, you're going to have a really hard time um, working the ground. And it's not going to be easy for you to produce food. It's not going to be easy for you to take care of you and the people in your life. This psalm is reversing the curse. It's a reverse of the curse. It's saying when you do work, you will have fruit. When you put in that work, you will have uh, produce in your life. It was hard for Adam to bring forth food from the ground. And it was also hard for Eve to bring forth children from her womb. She was told that it's going to be, you're going to have difficulty in childbearing. I truly believe that that doesn't just mean physical pain in the moment of bringing forth a child. I think that also means difficulty in conceiving and having children in general. And you can see that reversed in this passage. Uh, there's a, 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 of the woman being fruitful and being able to bring children. And also, you see in, in Genesis that it would be hard for families to relate to one another. In the, in the curses to Adam and Eve, it says that, that, uh, that man and woman would, in some sense, battle, right? That her desire would be for husband, that he would rule over her. There's some contention there. And Adam and Eve's children... Um, they didn't do so well either. One of them killed the other. So there's this family relation aspect that says family is going to be hard. But in this passage, we see a blessed wife and a blessed children sitting around the table. There's a reversal of that Genesis curse. It's a reversal of the Genesis curse. It shows that you will eat the work of your hand and your wife will bear children and your children will be fruitful. So following the Lord enables you, listen to this, following the Lord closely enables you to experience 
the reversal of the curse in this life. Sometimes we, um, we have, uh, what, what do they say? Um, you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good, is what, what, what some people will say. Sometimes Christians make so much of life in the next life, which we should, that we forget God gives us the ability to experience his blessings in this life, in this life. And as you follow the Lord and he overcomes sin in your life, you can experience this reverse of the curse on a daily basis. You can have a fruitful, uh, loving relationship with your spouse and your children can experience uh, that idea of promise and potential in their life. And this is made possible only through Jesus. This psalm is made possible only through Jesus because Jesus is the only true Israelite. He's the only one that actually feared the Lord to the fullest. He's the only one that walked his path and never took one step off of how God would have him live. Our sinful actions make this perfect life impossible, but Jesus' godly action makes this life not just possible, but promised to us. Jesus' work on the cross, his perfect following the Lord in his life, and his resurrection gives us the ability to experience this kind of life. Not just in the life to come, but you can experience it even now. And I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that if you follow the Lord, nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. And if something bad is happening to you, it's because you ain't following the Lord correctly. That's not what I'm saying. We should fight against that. But sometimes we fight so hard against the prosperity gospel that it doesn't allow us to appreciate God's blessings that he truly does give us. It's like the cook has made this amazing, scrumptious meal. And we don't want to forget about the cook in light of the meal. So instead of just appreciating the meal and thanking the cook, what we do is we water down the meal and we make it like not good anymore to say, I don't want to I don't want to appreciate this meal more than the cook. I want to be thankful to the cook. It's possible for you to eat the food and enjoy it and also be grateful to the cook. It's possible for you to receive God's blessings in life. And if you receive those with the right heart and the right attitude, you can be grateful to the one who gave it to you. We definitely don't want to worship gifts. We don't want to worship creatures and the things that um, God has created. But we also don't want to just ignore those things and not realize those are a blessing to those who follow him. So this perfect picture of this life, this this family life, is made possible through Jesus. And we should therefore appreciate, we should appreciate it. Another way to apply this to your life is you need to take value from the home. Notice how much this psalm is making an emphasis on the home. It's saying, hey, when you follow the Lord, you're going to be blessed. And one of the primary places you're blessed is in your home. Having good relationships with your spouse and your children. And those people grow in your presence, not uh, die in your presence. Take value from what God gives you within your home. Our culture is so tempted to derive value from things outside of our home. What do I do in my job and how much money can I make there? And how high can I move up in the ranks out there? How many um, ball games can I win? How many all-state jackets can I get? Um, how, many, how many things can I derive value from out there, out there rather than seeing there's a lot of ways that God defines our value within our home of how it's a good thing to be a, a good parent and a good spouse and how God blesses us with those things and we should take value in them. 
So you should derive value from within your home, not from without. And you should be godly in your homes. This aspect, this idea of fearing the Lord, walking in his ways, should apply to your house. Being godly in your home matters. A lot of times we go out, we put our nice clothes on, we go to work, we have the tie or whatever, the nice shoes, we're, we're, we're on our best behavior outside. But then when we get home, we, we let loose, right? That's when we put on the, the house shoes and we can just kind of be who we are. In some sense, that's the opposite of the way it should be. When you come home, it's not like you hang your godliness on the door as you walk in and now you can just, you can just kind of take it easy. You don't have to be so godly now. You should be extra godly in your home. That's the place where you should be the most godly. The person that you should be uh, um, discipling the most and having the most um, godly relationship with is your spouse and your children. God has put you guys together in your home for a reason. So you don't take your godliness off at the door and hang it up with your hat. No, you put on extra godliness and be extra godly in your home because the opposite of these sayings is true as well. If a wife or a spouse flourishes in a godly home, then a wife can wither in an ungodly home. Think of your plants. If you've ever visited my house, watch my plants. I'll buy some kind of a, a mum from one of you kids doing a, a, a fundraiser in the fall, and in a month from, from then, it's going to be dead on my front porch because I don't know how to take care of plants. Right? I don't do a good job of taking care of that. And what happens when you don't take care of it? It withers. It dies. Life gets sucked out of it. So spouses, particularly husbands to your wife, your wife should be growing and flourishing in your home because of your godliness. But if you're ungodly, she's going to die like the mums out on my front porch. No life, no vitality. Children in a godly home, or if a child in a godly home is full of life and promise, then children in an ungodly home are empty of life and full of despair. Your godliness, speaking to husbands in particular here, your godliness matters for your wife and your kids. But ladies, you're not off the hook either. Your godliness matters for your husband and your kids. Your godliness in your home matters for other people. Sometimes it can be hard to self-evaluate, right? If somebody asks, how are you doing? What's going on in life? Is it good, bad, whatever? We have a hard time evaluating our, our own righteousness because most of the time our, our human hearts tend to shed a, a brighter light on our, our situation than what we should. We see our, ourselves in a more positive light than we should. One way to self-evaluate is to say, what's my relationship like with my wife and my kids? What's my relationship like with my husband and my kids? That can give you a, a, a good indication because your relationship with your spouse and your kids is directly related to if you're walking in the ways of the Lord. How's your relationship with your spouse and how's your relationship with your children? And also, I want us to think about how this applies to our church as well. Think about, how our, about our church as well. God has blessed us over the last year and a half or so with families in our church. That's, that's an amazing thing. God has brought young families with young kiddos in our church. And I'm praying that our church can say, hey, it's all of our responsibility to, to invest in families. Invest in families. Um, not just invest in um, having an individualistic perspective to investing in other people, but saying, if I invest in this guy, it's going to impact his home. If I invest in this woman, it's going to impact her, her home relationships, her, 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 her relationships within her home. When we think of that as a church, every time you impact somebody in our church, every time you invest in somebody that's sitting in one of the pews next to you, you're not just investing in that one person. 
You're investing in lots of people. That's like if you're going to make an investment in, in, in some kind of um, capital venture, if you said, hey, your money's not just going to be your money, but it's actually going to multiply two, three, or fourfold um, based on your investment, you'd say, sign me up, right? You've got to think, when you invest in somebody in this church, you're not just investing in them, but you're investing in somebody else in their home. Somebody else in their home. So may we be a church that says, hey, we want to invest not just individually in people, but also invest in families. It's been a long time on point two, but you get the picture that God, uh, following the Lord, fearing the Lord, blesses, uh, brings blessings in your family. And then finally, to finish up, we've got blessings in your community. This passage finishes with um, seeing prosperity of... Zion or Jerusalem. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. There's a community aspect to this, right? God blesses us in our individual efforts, our family efforts, and then finally within his community. It says that you'll live long enough to not just see your kids, but their kids. Seeing not just the next generation, but the generation to come after that. And peace or well-being would be within God's community. If God will bless individual homes because of their faithfulness to him and their fear of him, imagine how God can bless an entire community if it's full of people who are walking in his ways, applying his rules and his standards to their lives. And the blessings of your individual life pours over and blesses the people around you. And vice versa, The people around you who are walking in his ways are receiving blessings, and those pour over into your life as well. When you eat a meal together, when you go um, spend time together, when you uh, spend time with one another, as you're following the Lord, your, your, your godliness, your blessings will spill over into other people. That's why in our vision statement that we've crafted together at the church, it says this, that we are becoming more like Jesus together. There's a community aspect to being God's people. It's not just an individual thing. It's not just about your personal holiness, but about how we can be holy as a community. We're becoming more like Jesus together, together. And we do that through his word within his community and for his mission. Word, community, and mission. That's the idea of this passage, right? As we fear the Lord, that means we're going to dig into his word and see how his word applies to us. Then we start to apply that in our homes, within our community, and it impacts people. And then we can take that impact that we're making and go join him in his mission as we spread that throughout the world. So friends, as we close this morning, let me call you, let me beg you, and let me implore you even to fear the Lord. Have that healthy respect, that reverent trust of him, and walk in his ways because it truly does matter. And the only way you can walk in his ways is because of what Jesus has done for you. Not only what he's done in this life on the cross, but also the Holy Spirit who indwells you to live out these things. And as you do, I pray that you'll be able to take notice of all the blessings that God gives you and realize those are things that only come from him and that you might value those and appreciate those in your life. Let's pray.